Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, I'm Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. We are coming to you from the Marriott, where we are in We're in the Queen City. We're ready for this bowl game tomorrow. We are taping this on Thursday afternoon for your listening pleasure. Wednesday. Is it? Oh, it is Wednesday. Yeah, sorry about that. The bowl games on Thursday, they all run together when you get to bowl season. But um, we're going to talk a little, well, a lot about the bowl game. Um, and at the very end, at the insistence of Andy, we will do my bowl picks for the rest of the bowl season. You have to own them, man. I, well, I'm not feeling as good as I was. I, we're, we're we're 12 and eight right now, which is which is really solid against the spread. That's that's still rubber band banks earning. But uh, it's uh, I'm looking at a possible 0-5 stretch here if uh, Pittsburgh doesn't get its act together and cover. They're down at the half. Listen, people are relying on you to have a very happy new year. So you need to pull out of this. You need to make some smart picks and give these people some rubber band banks for the new year. I agree. I mean, as long as people got in on the ground floor, they're fine. They're not They're not sweating anything at this point. But uh, we will rebound for the rest of the season. I, I'm, I'm hopeful and confident of that to an extent. All right, Andy, uh, we, we went to Bowl Day today, uh, Bowl Media Day, down at uh, BB&T Ballpark, which is a very nice AAA stadium. It's there. gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. really, really It's a couple well. years old, I think. It's, it's, um, it's a nice place to see a ball game, but it was a good place to get some information. I mean, they, they had a very nice setup, I thought. Uh, pretty much had players all around, both from Arkansas and Virginia Tech. What did you learn today at Bowl Day that maybe you didn't know before? If anything, uh, not a ton. I mean, when you've talked about a game and written about a game for four weeks almost, uh, you kind of run out of storylines to get to that point. I didn't know if you know this, is, but uh, Virginia Tech is playing for its 10th win this season. Really? That's something that has maybe come up the last uh, four weeks before this. Uh, Arkansas does not have a very good rushing defense. I think we've established that before. So, I mean, you, you run out of storylines this close to the game, but. Uh, every now and then you get like a little bit of, of a gem that's a little bit different or a quote that was phrased differently. That you're like, all right, that's a different way of hearing that, and that's kind of interesting. But you know, honestly, nothing really was a revelation today when we were at that thing. Well, you know what? Travis from WDBJ7 <laughs> asked Isaiah Ford a question while I was sitting with Isaiah there talking to him. He says, you know, uh, the Hokies have never won three ball games in a row. Uh, you have a chance to do that. What do you think about that? And Isaiah was like, wow, that's crazy. I, hadn't even, I didn't even know that. And I looked at Travis and I said, Travis Wells, that is. I mean, I I didn't know that either. That that's a new fact. Well, I didn't know that. David Teal was asking all the okay. Hokies about that. I don't know if that's where Travis got it from, or if they both looked that up themselves. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is. I mean, they had only, I think Frank only won two bowl games in a row twice. Uh, and that was most, you know, obviously the last two games that he coached. And there was a Orange Bowl and the Chick Fil A Bowl back to back that they won, but. You know, it just kind of speaks to the fact that bowl games are weird. It's tough to really get any kind of winning streak going in that. So, you know, these haven't been the highest profile games they've been winning. Uh, you know, win the Military Bowl against, you know, a decent Cincinnati team, win the Independence Bowl against a Tulsa team they probably should have beaten by more than they did. But uh, it's something. It's something to win at the end of the season like this. And you talked to that, you know, that was the, the theme of my story today is that you know, there's all this talk about how meaningless these bowl games are. Oh, it's just an exhibition at the end of the season. These, you know, star running backs skipping it and stuff like that. And 
uh, you know, I asked Fuentes, like, these games aren't meaningless. Like, they, they are very meaningful for the players involved. And, you know, I talked to Sam Rogers, Woody Barron, uh, Kenny Kanem, all seniors. And they're like, no, this is very important to us to go out with a win. It, it's, you know, it's a lot easier to stomach finishing your career with a win than, uh, you know, having to harp on a loss and sort of have that sit with you for the rest of your life. So uh, as much as people want to say these games are meaningless ex- exhibitions for a lot of the guys involved, that's really not the case. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I got that sense from from the guys I talked to. I actually only talked to two guys. I, I decided to spend most of my time with Gerard Evans and, and Isaiah Ford because uh, they're, you know, obviously uh, Evans is, is somebody who uh, – you know, is very important in this game. And we'll get to that a little bit more as we go forward. But, but, but Ford is, is one of my favorite interviews uh, that Tex had in a long time. And, and if he ends up leaving for the NFL, that's, it's a bigger loss to us as reporters than it is, I think, to the Hokies. I mean, it's a big loss to both. Well, maybe not that much. <laughs> He's pretty good. And they have really a, a two time thousand yard receiver with them. I think that'd be a pretty big boost if he were to come back. I, I still don't think he will. I'm not sure. I, I'm less certain of that than I am with Bucky. I think Bucky probably uh, most definitely will go pro this year. I think Ford of the, the two guys making a decision probably maybe a little more on the fence, but it, it just seems like the opportunity would be tough to pass up. But you're right. I mean, he's a great quote. Uh, he's been a, a fun guy to cover these last couple of years. And, uh, you know, I'd certainly enjoy it as a reporter if he was back for another year because he's an enjoyable guy to talk to. Yeah, no doubt. And before we get a little into the more nuts and bolts of this game, uh, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you, you were here, what, the day after Christmas, right? You were here the 26th. Is that right? Uh, I got here Christmas Day night. Oh, did fact. you? Okay. So at like 1030, something like that. Um, tell me about your experience at the, at the NASCAR track. I mean, that's your second NASCAR track you visited this year. What yeah, did you think? I'm, I'm sort of a NASCAR expert, I think, now. I think, I think this makes me a NASCAR expert. Marty uh, Smith Jr. Yeah, I can go outside and throw a football with a well-coiffed haircut. <laughs> I don't have the hair that he does to pull it off. Uh, but, you know, Charlotte Motor Speedway, that's the first time I'd been in there. It's a much bigger track than uh, uh, Bristol. Uh, in Bristol, you can see around the whole thing, no problem. Uh, Unless you're in the press box for yeah, well, football. Yeah, game. that's true. But, you know, Charlotte, uh, I'm not sure how long the track is, but there's a stretch where it goes behind there where if you're sitting in certain seats, you lose track of the cars for a little bit. So uh, they could open up those cars a little bit, and all the Virginia Tech players and coaches and staffers, they, what they did is they set it up so everybody got three laps in a car uh, on the track, and some reporters, myself included, got to do it as well. And I think they got it up to like 170, which, you know, at at Bristol, I think it was like 110 or something like that. Uh, So this was pretty interesting to get up that fast. You can certainly feel it when you're going around those corners. Uh, Pretty fun experience. You know, I'm not a real big NASCAR fan, but it does kind of give you a greater appreciation of NASCAR to go out there and do it. And I think a lot of the the football players enjoyed that, too. Well, I'm, I'm jealous because the only track I've been around is Martinsville. Uh, I've been been around it several times, and you know the first time I did it, I thought, wow, you know this is the slowest track by average speed in in all of NASCAR. It's the smallest and slowest and flattest. Uh, but but man, it's crazy when you're going around. Like you you feel like you could die at any second at Martinsville. So for you have, to have gone around Bristol, which is the fishbowl that uh, you know so many people talk about how death-defying that is in close quarters, and for you to go around Charlotte. I'm I'm very jealous of that. I, I would have liked to have done that. You know what's weird is like 
you never had that feeling of, or I never had that feeling of like I was in danger doing it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, this guy knows what he's doing next to me. I have no idea who the guy was driving the car. He could have been some guy they pulled out of the crowd to do it for all I know. I'm like, well, you know, it'd be dangerous if it wasn't being handled by a professional, but I'm clearly <laughs> not in any kind of danger here. And uh, I guess maybe that's a good attitude to take if you don't want to psych yourself out when you're going in the car like that. Oh, the naivety <laughs> of youth. I tell you, you know. I'm about to turn 40. How old are you? You're 30. 37. 37. Okay, well. Yeah, you'll you'll learn. You'll learn. Bad things can happen even when in the capable hands of professionals. Okay. That's it. I'm never riding in a car again <laughs> now that you put it like that. All right. Gerard Evans, I mean, I mentioned I talked to Gerard for a, a long time. I basically sat there for most of his interview session, and a lot of the questions were some of the similar ones we've seen, we've heard over the over the course of the year. You know, how was your transition from junior college? Uh, what did you think of the ACC? All those kinds of things. But I think Gerard, I mean, of course he's been a key to every game this year, but he may be the biggest key he's been in any game because – Arkansas struggles against the run. They struggle specifically against run-pass option, against running quarterbacks. Uh, Gerard has certainly proven to, to be one of those, uh, leading the team in rushing. Uh, wh- what do you think of uh, Gerard's role in tomorrow's game and, and just sort of uh, how important he is to Virginia Tech's success or lack thereof in the in the belt role? Well, as he goes, so goes the offense. I mean, I think we've seen that throughout the year, and uh, maybe that was less the case earlier this year before they really sort of opened him up as a runner. Uh, but I think once they hit those games where, you know, I, I want to say North Carolina was one of the first ones where he really took on a huge uh, chunk of the rushing game and shoulder the load. Uh, I think once they saw that he could do that, they put it on his shoulders a lot more as the season went on. And there were games near the end where, you know, he was there, obviously their leading passer, but their go-to runner as well. And, and really churned out some tough yards like that. And, in tough spots, I feel like they really always call his numbers. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a big game uh, possibility for him against an Arkansas defense that, like we've mentioned, is, is pretty suspect, uh, giving up 6.2 yards per rush, which uh, – 6.16, I think, technically. Correct. And uh, going back to 2000, Texas Tech is the only Power 5 school that has given up more r- yards per rush. They gave up 6.17 last year, and that was historically bad. So, why? I mean, why are they so bad? I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I think Fuente was asked about that, and I think part of it, they had some injuries this year, but injuries alone don't account for that sort of, of bad, you know, I don't know if it was tackling or bad fitting, whatever it was. I mean, Auburn ran for 543 yards against this team and seven touchdowns. That's unbelievable. I mean, I feel like with the kind of athletes that they have in the SEC and the kind of players, caliber of players they recruit, uh, that should never happen. So I don't quite know what's going on. I'm not, you know, I'm not an X's nose expert with that stuff. But obviously, something is wrong on that side of the ball. That uh, they've had these games where they've given up just huge, huge chunks of yards. But it, but, it, but honestly, I do wonder about Virginia Tech's ability to take advantage of that because they've played some bad rushing defenses this year. You know, and, and North Carolina was pretty bad. Syracuse is pretty bad, and they didn't overwhelm those teams in those games. So I, I'm curious to see if, if Virginia Tech can really come out and, and just take full advantage of uh, what is you know, probably the worst rushing defense they'll face this year. Well, we had an off-air discussion, a lighthearted one, about whether 273 pounds across the defensive line is considered beefy. I consider that beefy. You say that's not that beefy. Well, their two tackles are in the 285 range. So beefy. Th- that's not beefy for a defensive tackle. 
Tim Settle is beefy for Not a defensive tackle. He's 330. You know, if, if you're up over 300 pounds, that's pretty big for a defensive tackle. I think these are more these guys are more in the vein of a Woody Barron or a Nigel Williams, where they're smaller, quicker guys. I, what? Okay, well, uh, maybe I need to rip up my column about the beefy front, but to me, it seems like a beefy front, and and it seems to me the Hokies believe they can wear this front down. And they can wear this defense down, and they can do it with tempo. Uh, Ford had a really interesting quote that uh, when I was sitting there with him, I mean, he talked about how at one point Fuente, after the Boston College game, flipped on the video and and had it queued up to a point after they had scored a touchdown, and and you know BC was there with their hands on their hips and leaning over and panting and just exhausted. And even the, uh, the commentator from the, you know, the television broadcaster, uh, mentioned it, you know, he said, these guys are just, just done. And, um, and Fuente basically told him this, this is what we're after. We want teams to look like this. And of course that was a 49, nothing game. And tech owned that game from start to finish. But I think that's the kind of impact they would like to have on Arkansas tomorrow if they can get it. Well, I think this is what they've been building for toward all season. Is the you know, they've always said they want to have the ability to go fast when they want to and right. sort of outpace teams and tempo them and run them into the ground. They haven't really done it a lot this year. There hasn't been too many instances where it's like, man, they're going really fast, and this other team is just gas. They can't keep up with them. I, th- I think you see it in bits, but um, it's not like they're running 95 plays every single game. Uh, I will be interested to see. I mean, this is sort of a contrast of styles. I mean, Arkansas – is second in the the country in time of possession at 35 minutes a game. Uh, the team that's number one is Brett Bielema's old team, Wisconsin. So, you know, he plays that kind of style, even though I don't think this offensive line that they have is maybe as good as they've had in the past. Uh, you know, they would like to control the clock, and I think that's kind of the exact opposite of what Virginia Tech would like to do and push the pace. So it's kind of an interesting contrast of styles, I think, in this game. Well, you know who else likes to do that? Boston College. They like to control the ball. And but they had really no offensive weapons. They didn't. Arkansas does. Unless they're I mean, playing the Terps and my dad's paying $192 <laughs> exactly. to see them. But, I mean, Arkansas has uh, a runner in Raleigh Williams who had 1,326 yards, which I, which I think led the SEC in the regular season. It's got a quarterback in Austin Allen who threw for 23 touchdowns was tied for second in the SEC. It's got some big receivers. I, I think this is a very capable Arkansas offense, but – I think they would like to be methodical with it and not necessarily go up and down the field because that's probably not going to be advantageous for them. Right. Well, let's look on the other side of the ball. Uh, Vinny Mahota has been ruled out of this game because of injury. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty significant loss for Tech along the defensive front. Uh, just kind of size up that impact and also just the general uh, Tech's defense against Arkansas's offense. You know, they, you know, losing Vinny and he played those last – Six games, I want to say, he separated his shoulder against Miami and kind of gutted through it the rest of the year. And you could tell he was in a lot of pain where uh, I remember a couple passes in the ACC title game uh, where he knocked it down with his arm. And then he just sort of crumpled down in pain, which, you know, a football shouldn't do that to your arm. Hitting a football, you should not be in that much pain. And that showed you kind of what he was playing through in that. Uh, they just decided to get taken care of before the end of the season, not put him through another game like that. Uh, that's a loss, but... You know, the last time that they sort of were shorthanded on the defensive line uh, was against Miami, or this shorthanded. They didn't have Kenna Canem. They didn't have Nigel Williams right after that Syracuse game. They came out and had eight sacks in that game. So, you know, Trayvon Hill is going to start in Vinny Mahota's place. I think he's played very well in a backup role this year. I think 
the one game he started was against Miami. He had one and a half sacks, one and a half tackles for loss in that game. So that was uh, probably his best game to date. Uh, I think they're pretty deep at the tackle spots. You know, a little thin at end. Uh, Seth Dooley, Houshin Gaines probably will have bigger reserve roles in this game. But uh, when they were shorthanded before in the defensive line, they stepped up pretty well. And this is an Arkansas def- offensive line that's given up 29 sacks this year, which uh, I think is third most in the SEC right now. So I think there are some opportunities to get after the quarterback in this one if they can uh, dent that sort of big physical offensive line that Arkansas has. Yeah. You know, I I think one of the storylines that was, I guess, foisted upon the players was ACC versus SEC. You know, in in the questioning today, and I got the I got the impression, and I I thought it was legitimate. I didn't think it was like one of those situations where the players were just saying, "Well, you know, it's just the next opponent. I don't really care what conference they're from." I really don't think Tech gives a crap that they're from the SEC. I really don't think that matters at all. Yeah, I didn't get that impression either. Talking yeah. to them, maybe it's the fact that Arkansas is more of a more of a lower rung SEC team right yeah. now. I would think if they were playing. Well, obviously Alabama, but this year the SEC is kind of down as a whole once you get past them. But in years past, I think if you're playing Auburn or LSU or Florida, a team like that, that would move the needle a bit more of these players. Did it move the needle at Bristol? I mean, or was it? I think it did. No, I I think it it did. When people thought Tennessee was a legit top 10 team. I, I thought, thought it was more, you know, they're Tennessee, they're right across the border. Well, you yeah, know, I think they, it was a little more geographically made sense yeah. for a team that they never play for some reason uh, to only be uh, to be a couple hours away like that and play them. And I think there's a lot of animosity towards Tennessee. A lot of sure. Virginia Tech fans don't necessarily care for that program too much. I, I just think the feelings about Arkansas, it's like, well, they've never played. It's not like they're really close to each other. It's not like it's a, a marquee name SEC program. I think there's just sort of a general indifference to uh, not who the opponent is, but what the opponent is in this game. If it was a different SEC team, I think you'd, there'd be a little more juice. Yeah, that, that question was kind of a non-starter all, all day. <clears throat> well, we've talked about Wakey Leaks the previous two weeks, and I promise we'll keep this short because if the response to my column this week was any indication, people are – dead tired of this making <laughs> something out of nothing again <laughs> mcfarland and i went on just record. like bill brill trying to <laughs> strum up something negative i went on record very early on this saying that i don't think it's a big deal outside of winston-salem <laughs> but the fact that it was shane beamer that was something that we did not know last week when we taped what is your reaction to that what do you think about that what does it say about the fact that uh, maybe frank might have known since it was his son what do you think a little surprised that it was Shane. I mean, I guess I should. I, when I was looking for connections, I was trying to see who was in sort of that same age bracket and who was coming up in the coaching ranks at the same time. Because I think, you know, it's sort of a kindred spirit between some of those players. And Elrod and Shane did uh, at the same time. So I guess that makes sense in hindsight. There was no really obvious connection to me be, uh, other than that. No, no coaching paths where they had crossed or anything like that. But very surprised that it ended up being Shane because, like you said, it sort of uh, draws a little bit of doubt into the plausible deniability that Frank had about it. Uh, I, I Honestly, I still do believe Frank that he didn't know about this because uh, you know, Frank doesn't really use text messaging. He's you know, not a big email guy. It's like there's a lot of ways that you cannot communicate with Frank, and it just doesn't seem to me that – Shane would find out and would immediately, you know, text his dad as though his, you know, Frank is sitting there waiting by his phone for a text message about something that's like this. And also, I, I can't even really, 
it, I'm trying to envision the situation where Shane did tell Frank and how Frank would even sort of comprehend how this information was gathered and process it and what to do. Like, I just, that seems very far fetched to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm being naive in this whole thing. Uh, I just can't really imagine uh, the information being passed on. And, you know, that's what Shane said. He said he didn't pass it on to him. You know, we'll see. We'll do some open records requests to see if there were any additional phone calls that night or any any way that you could prove that uh, something more went on than just receiving this information. But uh, you look at the final score of the game, uh, horrible game. I, I guess they, they were offensive plays that were communicated, so maybe you could say that that possibly could have helped Virginia Tech in that. But that was also a Wake Forest team that had the worst offense in the country. So Bud Foster shutting down that that offense was not anything sort of out of the ordinary. Um you know, just you know, it's it's kind of a black mark on the the Beamer name. You know, I don't know how long that's gonna be there. Uh, like you said, I think this is sort of a small thing in the grand scheme of things. So, uh, I think honestly, the biggest punishment out of this whole thing is that that will be attached to Shane's name for a while. I mean, yeah. he, he's still an up and comer in this coaching industry. He's a guy who has head coaching aspirations and. You know, any job that he might interview in the future here, you know, that the athletic director that's interviewing him or the coach that's interviewing him is going to ask him about that because that's sort of a betrayal of trust in the coaching industry. That's something that sticks with you for a while, uh, you know, much more than a $25,000 fine will. Right. And you and I both like Shane. I mean, just as a person, uh, we've had good dealings with him in the past. He's He's been very open and honest when, we, when we've dealt with him as reporters uh, in, in a strictly – the professional sense. And as I've told people that, that have emailed me to criticize me for, for my take on the situation, which basically was, you know, that it does raise some doubt. You know, I told people, look, I've been given Frank the benefit of the doubt for, for the better part of 16 years. I'll continue to give him the benefit of the doubt in the future. He is, you know, he's a man that I would like my family to emulate. I mean, he's the kind of guy you want to be, uh, but that doesn't mean I take everything Virginia Tech ever says at face value. I right. just, it's just not going to take it at face value. I'm going to question things. I'm going to ask questions. And, and you know, the fact that they didn't want to release the name, wh- I mean, what's your thought on that? The fact that they, w- they were willing to go to the grave without ever telling us who the, the person was. Uh, I, I mean, I happen to think it's because it was Shane Beamer. I mean, if it had been, let's just say, and it's not fair, fair to Scott Leffler, but I'll just throw his name out there as, as an example – if it had been Scott Leffler, do you think they would have just announced his name and said, oh, well, it was Leffler, um, you know, that's that's what happened, and, and we're, we're moving on. Instead, they kept it quiet. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, the day that that was announced from by Georgia was the day that they responded to my initial open records request, which uh, when I put that in, it was correspondence from Wake Forest to Virginia Tech, uh during the course of this Wake Forest investigation. As it turned out, it was just a phone call from Wake Forest. There was nothing in writing, no emails or anything like that. But I was just looking for stuff that was communicated to Whit Babcock or Fuente or Bud Foster. Didn't turn up anything. And I got that response the same day that that Georgia announced that it was Shane. So I think uh, based on that and based on you know knowing what some other reporters had submitted and got responses from Virginia Tech that same day, that the fact that there were reporters sniffing around this that – once you got specific enough, you were going to be able to find this out. Uh, I, I think maybe they might have encouraged Georgia to come out and say this to save them the trouble of having people unearth this on their own. I don't know. I'm not really sure how it works. Uh, you know, it seems like they maybe could have saved a little more face if they had just announced who it was at the beginning. But 
Uh, that's not how they chose to do it. But it, I mean, the, the truth was going to come out in this thing eventually anyway. Yeah. All right, let's get to predictions on the belt pole. Where are you going and why? Uh, the line, we're going to go with uh, Hokies by six? Seven, I saw Seven? Today. Okay, we'll go seven. I'm going to go Virginia Tech 38-27. to 27. Uh, I think this is a team that you know, averaged 40.3 points in its last three games against uh, Notre Dame, Virginia, and Clemson. Uh, I know they had a month off, essentially four weeks off in between their last game and this one, and sometimes you lose a little bit of timing offensively, a little bit of momentum, and you know, sort of just what you had going. It seems like everything was kind of clicking on all cylinders. Sometimes you lose that when you have time off like that. But Unless you're playing Tulsa. Right, exactly. Like I said, Arkansas is not a good defense and has given up a lot of points this year. Uh, you know, I think whatever rust Virginia Tech might have, they'll knock it off pretty quickly. Uh, I think this is a game they'll be able to run the ball, and you know, obviously they've been able to throw the ball all season. So uh, I like them to be able to score a lot of points. I think Arkansas, certainly if pressed in a situation where they're trailing and have to try to play catch-up, will we'll be able to move the ball and put some points up as well. I mean, you've seen that numerous times against a Bud Foster defense. If Virginia Tech has a lead, they give up some points here or there. But uh, I like the Hokies to win, and I like them to cover because I just think they're a better team than the Razorbacks. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with you on that. I'll go 45-28 Hokies. I mean, I think there will be a lot of points. I do think uh, I think they'll run Evans a ton, and I think he'll have great success. Uh, he's, his, career, his season high, his career high for at the FBS level is 21 carries. I think he goes over that. He had that against North Carolina, and he had it against uh, Clemson. Uh, so I think he's going to go over that. Um, I think they will wear down that defense. I think on the opposite end, you know, they may score so quickly at times that they give opportunities to be scored upon, um, and will be scored upon. And the quarterback, as you said, is a pretty good player. So, but I still think tech wins and I think they win pretty handily. I, I, I think this will be a bowl game that I think uh, they'll be, they'll be very happy with when they go to the off season. So we've just guaranteed that this is a 13 to 10 uh, slugfest Pretty where much. neither offense does anything and somebody wins it on a last second field goal. Well, what would you have said in that quick lane bowl? I mean, <coughs> BC against Maryland. I mean, I mean, what would you have said in the Washington State Minnesota yeah. holiday bowl last well, night? Like yeah. that was the most shocking result I think of the bowl season. Where I'm like, I would have guaranteed you that Washington would have put up at least 50 on that defense and uh, didn't even come close. So that's, that's an excellent transition because that was one of four losses yesterday for the bowl guide. I mean, the bowl guide. Fell off a cliff after a 10-3 and three start. 12-8 and eight we are. We're moving on to the picks. Let's make these fast, and then we'll get to the uh, college football playoff. Maybe we can break those down a little bit more deeply. Uh, Birmingham Bowl, December 29th. That's the day after the Belk Bowl. Uh, South Carolina plus 10 over uh, South Florida. Charlie Strong is the new USF coach. But interim guy TJ Weiss will steer the Bulls here. Clemson debacle notwithstanding. South Carolina has shown improvement late in the season and should be able to keep it close. Do you like 10 points there? Or the- 10 points is a lot. I know. They're dogs. Yeah, and I mean, I would put them as underdogs. The fact that South Florida, you know, Taggart is already up at uh, Oregon. You know, I always, when a, a team loses a coach like that, I'm always hesitant to pick them. I think Temple is a perfect example of that the other day against Wake. Uh, where I thought Temple was far better than Wake Forest was and then just went out and did not play that way. So I'm always leery of the team that lost his coach right before the bowl game. Yeah, well, wrapping up the December 29th Bulls, Alamo Bowl, Oklahoma State, I'm taking the three points against Colorado. I'm not impressed with Colorado. I know your thoughts on Colorado. 
Um, Buffalo's coach Mac, Mike McIntyre, uh, he got multiple National Coach of the Year awards. He deserved those, but those blow, the, that blowout loss against uh, um, Washington in the in the Pac-12 title game really kind of turned me off. Um, I like Oklahoma State. They've won seven of their past eight. They're they're on a on a pretty good roll. So and Mike Gundy has a pretty good mullet. So yeah, when in doubt, go with the mullet and go with the team that can put up points like Oklahoma State can. That's, that's a really good point. I should add that to this uh, this text here. Okay, now we're into December thirtieth. We're getting close to the uh, just to the uh, the big ones here. Georgia minus one over TCU is which way I'm going. Uh, neither of these teams is at the level we're used to seeing them. Bulldogs <coughs> are ranked 18th nationally against the pass and should be able to goad TCU quarterback Kenny Hill into some gaffes. Uh, that guy's got 15 TDs, 13 picks this year. That's not a very good ratio. These are two teams that I really can't figure out this year. I mean, I think they're both around 500 record-wise. Uh, I, I just said, it, you know, we do the fearless forecasters thing where we pick all the time. I think I got Georgia wrong every single time it was up there, and I probably got TCU wrong about every time it was up there. I don't, I'm don't. i not quite sure what to make of TCU because it's coached by a guy like Dave, Gary Patterson, who's such a defensive genius, but I don't think they're very good defensively. Uh, you know, I'd kind of throw my hands up on this one. I'd, I'd stay away from this one because I just have no clue. Here's an interesting one. Sun Bowl, you know, North Carolina, Stanford, you know, we, we touched on this one when we went over the ACC bowls on our first podcast, but I mean, North Carolina is getting three points in this game, even without McCaffrey for Stanford. I think that McCaffrey loss is a pretty big deal. I mean, I think North Carolina is good enough to win this game outright. So I'll take three points. Yeah, I'll take North Carolina in this one. Uh, I think this is a good NFL audition game for Mitch Trubisky yeah. if he's thinking about going in the pros. And you know, some of those places have listed him as the top-ranked quarterback prospect. Could be the first quarterback off the board. So, you know, no McCaffrey. I know they have a backup there. Uh, Love is at the the backup running back. He's pretty good. So I think it could be a showcase for him. But uh, you know, I'll go with North Carolina and a, a big offensive game to pull that one out. Music City Bowl, Nebraska. I'm going to take the six and a half against Tennessee. Uh, you may notice I'm taking a lot of dogs here, and it's not because all those <coughs> chalks I took yesterday didn't cover. It's this is how the bowl guide shook out. I mean, I just had a stretch there where I liked a bunch of chalks, and I'm, I'm much happier to be on dogs. It's much it's much more comfortable watch when you've got the dog. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and take Nebraska and get the six and a half. Um, you know why? Well. You know, I haven't been that impressed with Tennessee. I mean, we saw them in person, but Cornhuskers appear poised to start awesomely named former walk-on Riker Fife at quarterback with Tommy Armstrong nursing an injury. Um, so, you know, I, that guy's name is pretty awesome, so we're going to go with that. I didn't know that they had their backup quarterback in this game. I was about to pick Nebraska until you said that because, you know, Tennessee's been a sort of a dumpster fire ever since that battle at Bristol. I mean, the guys quitting the team, a ton of injuries. Uh, just hasn't been the season that Butch Jones wanted there, but I, I think I'll pick them to win this just based on the quarterback situation. Well, I'll be honest. This was a lower line at one point, and I liked Tennessee because Tennessee had uh, has averaged 50, 50.2 points over their past four games. They've been scored a bunch. But uh, when it got to six and a half, I just I, I backed off. Maybe that's residual effect of uh, of the all the chalks losing outright. That's, I just don't like being on chalks. That's, lose. that's the gambling just, mindset here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's no fun, man. <laughs> really, though, aren't all these games independent of each other? I mean, it's not like, they oh, are. a bunch of uh, underdogs have won. That means that, you know, it's like flipping a coin. It's a fallacy. It's like, oh, right. 
you know, tails six times in a row, it's going to be heads on this one. Yeah, it's it's a fallacy. And that's, you know, people who play roulette, you know, they'll look at the board and they'll see that it's been five reds in a row and they'll go, well, this one has to be black. No, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't. But I just, it's more fun for me to watch as when I'm back in the dog. It's just more fun. Well, plus there's like that devastating feeling where you're like, oh, I've got this big favorite by 13 <laughs> right. points. And then they fall down like 14 to nothing in the first quarter. You're like, my God, they got to score 28 points for me even on the right side of this uh, thing anytime soon. Temple? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Temple was down, what, 31-7 at the half? 31-10 at the half? I mean, that's uh, – well, anyways. Arizona Bowl, South – Alabama plus 13 and a half over Air Force. This is a real stinker wedged into these uh, good bowl games late in the se- late in the bowl season. Uh, Falcons failed to cover in their past five games as double-digit favorites. Uh, if you don't choose to take a break from this bowl watching, or if you don't take take a, choose to take a break from bowl watching during this game, then just take the points. That's my my advice. Yeah, I, I think I'll skip that one. Yeah, that seems like one that's skippable. All right, another dog here, another live dog, Capital One, Orange Bowl, Florida State plus seven over Michigan. Uh, I think I took Michigan to win outright in the forecasters. Who cares about that? It's so stupid. But You're just saying that because you fell out of contention. I've been out of I contention all year, so I don't care. I don't care about You do, though. No. Earlier in the year, you put a lot of time into it, and I'm just like, I'm out of it, so I don't care right away. And then you, you fill out a contention. You're like, stupid forecast. Why do we even do this? We should be picking against the spread. You know what happens? If you win this thing, you know what happens? Dowdy makes fun of you in print. He writes a little thing up about how you won. That's the prize. Like, and then he talks about how he gave up a home run to Marshall McDougal and all this other stuff. I mean, that's, that's what he does. It's a vehicle to just make fun of the winner. And I don't really, you know, I don't care. I don't get anything. Every day I open up my mailbox for my <coughs> Fearless Forecasters prize, nothing. To to paraphrase. Uh, You're really slamming the Fearless <laughs> Forecasters here. <laughs> paraphrase Chris Rock there. Okay. So any, any thoughts on that Florida State-Michigan game? I mean, <sighs> I feel like that Michigan has a defense that Florida State has not faced yet this year. And if there's one thing that Michigan is really, really good at, it's up front and stopping the run. And that's, you know – Florida State's going to need Dalvin Cook to have a big game to win that. So I'm going to take Michigan in that. Wait, they're favored by seven? Seven. I'll still take Michigan. Okay. I, I think Michigan is just – it's a team that I think could have been in the college football playoff where I think Florida State, with all the injuries they've had on defense, is a little more flawed and has a very young quarterback that I think Michigan's defense can make look bad. Okay. I mean, it is worth noting that Dalvin Cook is playing. I mean, he's one of those running backs – that, uh, in a meaningless bowl game. Of course, I don't think he's announced his college football, I mean, his NFL decision yet. Yeah, I think, I th- I think he's gone, though. Yeah, I think he's still keeping it quiet. Sort of like uh, Connor, right? Connor's... He declared. He already declared, okay. <clears throat> well, he needs to do a little bit more as they're failing to cover at the current moment. Uh, all right, <laughs> moving on to New Year's Eve. Nitty-gritty time. Citrus Bowl, Louisville, plus three over LSU. I don't know why Louisville's a dog here. I don't get it. I will take the points and, and gladly laugh all the way to the rubber band banks. Here's why Louisville's a dog, because they lost to Kentucky to finish the season after getting crushed by Houston. Like They've something, had time to regroup. They have, but I, that team is all Lamar Jackson, I feel like, whereas earlier this season it wasn't quite like that. I mean, you look at the receivers dropping passes all the time. Their offensive line, he gets sacked. Uh, as much as any quarterback in football. I just think he doesn't have a lot of help with that offense. For as incredible as his numbers have been this year, I think he's going to play a defense in LSU that uh, will be pretty tough. 
uh, pretty tough physically. And I think LSU, even despite not having Fournette, has a running game that could uh, you know, move the ball pretty well against Louisville. So I'll, t- I'll take LSU in that one. Wow, you're laying three. I will. It's your SEC bias. It is. Right yep. That's, that's me, SEC <clears throat> homer. Kentucky, you mentioned Kentucky <laughs> beating Louisville. They're three-and-a-half-point dogs against Georgia Tech. I'm going to take the dog here, too. I'm, I'm on a dog fest here. Uh, give me the uh, give me the Wildcats. Give me the points. You said that was three and a half. Three and a half. Uh, I'll take Georgia Tech in that one. I I think if you don't play that offense on an annual basis, that you're really not that prepared for it. I'm curious three to weeks. see. That's not enough time to just all of a sudden like you know just all your players all of a sudden know how to defend that. I mean Virginia Tech does it for years and still gets caught off guard by some of the stuff that Paul Johnson does. So I'm gonna go with. Uh, the Yellow Jackets in this one. Okay, well, we have some differing opinions here. I think this game is going to last about two and a half hours. I mean, oh, that'd be glorious. Wouldn't that have been great to cover that game? 11 a.m. start that's going to be real quick. And... They're going to run, run, run. Yeah, it's going to be a run fest. Okay, Outback Bowl. Iowa plus three over Florida. Uh, let's see what I said about this. Gators gave up 483 rushing yards and losses to Florida State and Alabama to close the season. That could be problematic against Iowa, which won the Joe Moore Award. Do you need, do you know what that award it's is? The for? offensive line award. Wow, I get I'm emails impressed. about I get emails about that every week. It's like the team of the week. I'm like I didn't really didn't know what the offensive line team of the week was, but yeah. I don't know how to unsubscribe to that email. <laughs> well, there's got to be something at the bottom you can click, right? Probably. I didn't look too carefully into it. Well, the Joe Moore Award is indeed for the best offensive line in the nation. As the trophy is like 200 pounds or something well, like good. that. Good, it should be. It should be. Well, Iowa. I'm going to say they run the ball well enough to cover that. Three what, point. Three points. Yeah. The over. What's the over under on punts in this game? Twenty five. I, I mean, if it was twenty five, what would you take? I mean, these are two really bad offenses yeah, and two coaches not afraid to punt in it. Uh, I guess I'll take Florida. Florida. We're gonna lay the three. I'll, I don't know. This is one I'd stay away from. I have I no. Feel, fe- I have no feel for this game. I feel like Florida and Iowa lock horns in every bowl season. Doesn't that seem like a matchup that happened a lot? I mean, non. There are a lot seasons. of Big Ten SEC games. Yeah. I seem to remember. I think it was against Florida, where Iowa essentially won on like a last-second hail mary, <laughs> where the guy just got free up the side. I think that was Iowa and Florida. I'd have to go back and look at that. But yeah, this does seem like a matchup that's happened before. Here's one dear, near and dear to your heart: your alma mater, Wisconsin, giving seven and a half to Western Michigan. I like your boys here. Oh yeah, I like them big. Yeah, I, th- I, I think. It's been a fun little scrappy season for Western Michigan, but now I think they're going up against uh, some big boys. You know, they've beaten some bottom-tier Big Ten teams, but they haven't played a team like Wisconsin that has the defense that it has and has the kind of offensive line that I think could overwhelm uh, what I would imagine is an undersized Western Michigan defense. So I'll go with the Badgers winning big. Well, here's what I wrote. Undefeated Western Michigan beat two big teams this year, Northwestern and Illinois, but neither was First the, of all, Illinois is not a big team. Come on now. Big Ten teams. Okay. But neither was the caliber of Wisconsin, which is basically what you just said. Uh, I aired earlier this bowl season by taking Toledo to cover. Uh, I'm not going to take another MAC team in a match. The MAC's 0-5, I think, in no, bowl games. Well, yeah, but uh, Miami-Ohio covered against I don't care about State. covering. I'm just saying winning games. Well, I mean, who cares who wins? <laughs> All right. Rose Bowl. <laughs> You've probably heard of this game, USC over Penn State. I'm taking, I'm giving the six and a half, and I would give ten in this game. I love <laughs> USC here. USC Trojans, man, they're one of the hottest teams in the nation. 
and they are really roaring. They're going to win this game big. Take it to the bank. I I like USC too. I I wonder if this is the one that everybody is kind of on the same side of it. I feel like everybody's picking USC to win this big. And then I, I look know. I look at it and I go, Penn State won the, what was the toughest conference in the country, the Big Ten. I mean, they, I mean, like it or not, they lost to Michigan really big earlier in the season. They lost to Pitt earlier in the season, but they finished the season very strong and beat some very good teams down the stretch. I mean, you mean non-covering Pitt? Yes. Which I mean, blew it. Just blew one. I mean, well, it's you're really, really angry at Pitt. It's here. hard to tape this while while one of my picks is going. Down yeah, you're very you're very sour about that. I I I wonder if maybe we're giving Penn State less respect than they have. But I, I'm like you. I'm going to pick USC in this. Okay. So you're going to lay the lumber. Sugar Bowl, last non-playoff game. Auburn plus three over Oklahoma. Auburn seems to massively underachieve or overachieve every year. This season, it's the latter. The Tigers have gone nine and three against the spread. Some time off to give the banged-up quarterback Sean White and running back um, Cameron Petway valuable time to heal. I'll take Oklahoma in this one. I don't think Auburn is very good. I think they're playing in this game sort of by default. I mean, they had four losses this year. There just wasn't a really good second SEC team once you get past Alabama. So, uh, you know, Oklahoma, for all its flaws this year, still has Baker Mayfield, who I I think set the the record for passing efficiency this year. Has D.D. Westbrook. Whether you like him or not, has Joe Mixon uh, as a running back, who's a pretty talented running back with obviously – off-field concerns with everything that's happened there. Uh, plus, I think Bob Stoops kind of gets up for these SEC games. I mean, you remember when they they beat Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl a couple years ago, and everybody said, oh, Alabama didn't care about that game. Well, Oklahoma cares about a game like that. So uh, if it's an early season game, I'll go against Bob Stoops. But if it's a bowl game like this uh, where it's not you know, like a national semifinal, I'll take Oklahoma. Passing efficiency rating notwithstanding, what do you think of Baker Makefield? Baker Mayfield. I think he sucks. Wow. That's harsh. I don't know. I think he sucks. I mean, I've seen him a couple times. And I'm not impressed. I think uh, what he's done in his career is remarkably impressive. I mean, he was a walk-on at Texas Tech, who then they weren't going to give a scholarship to. He's like, well, I'm just going to go to Oklahoma and sit out a year. And then he becomes Oklahoma's starting quarterback and takes him to the national semifinals last year and you know wins the Big 12 this year. I mean, what is there not to like in his career? You you are really a hater right now. Doesn't he have shaggy hair? I mean, get a haircut. He's got like a Fu Manchu, I think too. Yeah. I mean, come, come on. on. You got to love that. Clean it up. You just were expressing love for Mike Gundy's mullet earlier in this podcast. Now you're coming out against the college kid for having shaggy hair. How old are you? Maybe. You're not even 40 yet and you're doing this. Maybe I'm watching this game being played at Yankee Stadium, the house that George built. I'm thinking shade those sideburns, boy. That's probably what it is. That's probably what it is. All right, the nitty-gritty. College football playoff. Number four, Washington. Number four seed, Washington, against number one, Alabama. Interesting note I saw online today. Uh, A lot of late sharp money has come in on uh, Washington as the the betting limits have increased during the week. Um, that's the time that the Sharps come in and strike, and they saw 17 points, and they said, ooh, let's take that, and they bet it down to 14. I like Washington in the 14. I just, I, you know, that's a big number. I mean, I think Washington's here for a reason. I don't think they're the caliber of Alabama. I don't think anybody is, but it's still a lot of points. 
It is. I would have said the last same thing last year against Michigan State. In fact, I ever think we did the podcast. I'm like, you've got to be crazy. Michigan State's not going to get blown out of that game. That was like 36 to nothing or whatever the score was. Uh, I just think Alabama is that good. And I think they're good in a way defensively that you don't really lose that when you have this time off. You have a month off between games. I think that defense maintains that sort of level where sometimes the offense, it's a question of whether they can pick that up. And, you know, Washington is an offensive based team. That's really why they are where they are. So, uh, you know, I think Washington was sort of a borderline team to even get into the playoff. Uh, I don't like that sort of dynamic going against the far and away number one team in the country. Well, I'm siding with the Sharks. We have a lot of disagreements here. We do. We really do. And a lot of times it's you taking the chalk and me taking the dog. I like that. I like that. I'm I'm a man of the people. (sighs) Man who's losing the people's money with six straight losses in the bowl (laughs) guide. Pitt just blocked a punt, man. We're back in this. All right. Uh, I will be back home after watching Virginia Tech and Duke battle it out on the hardwood at noon on Saturday. I will probably miss most of the Washington game, but I will see the Fiesta Bowl, Ohio State against Clemson. This is a great game. I mean, great game. Clemson's getting three points. I'm going to take the dog. Uh, I've taken a lot of dogs on today's podcast, and I feel pretty good about this dog. I mean, I, you know, Clemson, pretty good team. I mean, I did pick Virginia Tech to beat Clemson, and I don't think Virginia Tech would beat Ohio State. But it's sort of like when you, you know, you look at the – matchup like you said earlier it's an individual matchup it's it's completely independent of what's happened before and what will happen after and uh i think clemson uh, wins this game outright yeah i i think so too i i like clemson's ability to be a little bit more well-rounded than the buckeyes i, I think late in the year you kind of wondered with ohio state how are they going to score and it, maybe that's a testament to some of the defenses that they were playing but i think they got into some of those games and it was like you know if jt barrett doesn't make a play they're not scoring, and you don't have that problem with Clemson. You go, if Deshaun Watson doesn't make a play, well, they've got Wayne Gallman, and they've got all these receivers, and they've got innovative ways to get them the ball. Uh, I, I just think Clemson's offense is a little bit better than Ohio State's in this game. So I, I, and I think they both are pretty good defenses. So I'll, I'll take Clemson to win it. So we're going to have one more podcast, probably? Yeah, we'll, we'll follow up this one, and we'll, follow we'll see how we do it in the offseason. Okay, and then so we can pick the national title game next week, and we'll have a line on it and everything. And we'll update you on Aaron's bowl guide record to see whether yeah, you know, you're penniless and can blame him and, and swear at him all you want in emails or if you know he got you a big, huge profit for I'll the new year. I'll tell you what, Pitt's back in business here as we close the third quarter. They're knocking on the door. This will all be irrelevant as soon as you listen to this, but – um, I, I feel like we have a chance to cover that four and a half. Okay, well, that's that sounds good. I hope you enjoyed this uh, special hotel version of uh, the podcast. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarlane. We'll talk to you next week.